Speaking of 2018, we're weekend. How's it going? Okay. Everybody like still on board with the resolutions? <laughs> Hit snooze a couple times on the alarm clock already. That's fine. No, no, no condemnation here. Um, no, I actually personally I have given up on New Year's resolutions. I switched several years ago to old year's resolutions. <laughs> and you laugh at first, but let me tell you about it. Old year's resolutions is like Towards the end of November, around Thanksgiving time, you set a goal for something that needs to happen by the end of the year, and you only have like 30 days to get around to it, and so you can't put it off. The, the very first old year's resolution I ever had was that I decided that I wanted to like coffee, and I had gone all through college and several years as a youth pastor without liking coffee, and so, and I just got tired of, of not wanting to receive the hospitality of someone saying, can I get you a cup of coffee? I met a million people at coffee shops and Starbucks, and, and I was tired of not liking what I was drinking when I was there. And so I was like, I'm going to like coffee, and I've got a month to do it. So I took all of the Starbucks gift cards that people had given me, because obviously the thing a youth pastor wants most in the world is Starbucks gift cards. And I bought a fresh-made drink every day at Starbucks for a month, and I taught myself to like coffee. <laughs> And now I'm obsessed with coffee, and I drink it all the time, and I don't even, Starbucks isn't even, like, my go-to. Like, I would prefer to make my own or go to, like, a specialty coffee shop and get the really high-end stuff, but I, I thoroughly enjoy this completely unregulated drug known as coffee. <laughs> and I did it because I just gave myself 30 days to get there, and if I had said something in January, there's a really good chance I would have put off, like, liking coffee the entire year not actually done it, right? We make these ridiculous statements at the beginning of the year. This is the year I'm going to lose 100 pounds. This is the year that I'm going to read 50 books. And that goes really well for like a few days. And then we get busy or our, our daughter decides that she's not going to sleep longer than three hours in a row for a year. Not that that's happened at our house. Um, <laughs> and, and we just like take a break on that stuff. And, and then we find ourselves in April saying like, yeah, that's not going to happen. We're just, no, not going to do it. We give up because those, those like ideas that we set, the goals that we set, they, they just weren't grounded in reality. And there's a statement like that in the story that I want us to look at in the Bible together today. Um, it's in Luke chapter 19. It's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus. And while you're turning there, we're just going to go ahead and sing that children's ministry song. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> No, we're not going to do that. Some of you are disappointed. Um, no, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you didn't grow up going to kids' church and singing the Zacchaeus song, you didn't miss anything. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm sure somebody's got it on YouTube um, if you really want to check it out. But we're, we're going to be okay without singing it. Um, Zacchaeus is a story about a tax collector. And, and in order for us to understand the story of Zacchaeus, we need to understand some things about the world that he lived in. This is the world that Jesus lived in. Jesus was a Jewish Middle Eastern man who lived in the first century in the Roman Empire. And there's so much that goes with that that just doesn't automatically click with us as 21st century Americans. And so for us to really understand what it is that Jesus is doing with these people that he's interacting with, we need to understand what the world was like for a Middle Eastern Jewish first century Roman man. And, and that's who Jesus is. That's who Zacchaeus is. And one of the things that we have to understand that, that everybody reading Luke's gospel would have understood was the Roman tax system. And so here's how it worked. The Romans were conquering the entire world, and when they would conquer somebody, they had to 
set up shop and make sure that they kept order and peace and protected that area. They also needed to raise up armies to go conquer more peoples and wars and keeping order and an empire cost money. The way that governments get money, they tax their people. And so everyone in the Roman Empire was taxed. But they didn't have irs.gov. They definitely didn't have e-file. They didn't have a really well-established postal system. And so they've got to collect a ton of money from a really, really, really big area with very limited communication avenues. So they created the tax farming system. And basically what would happen is they would say, in this province, we need to generate this much tax income. How are we going to get it? And they would bid it out to different contractors, if you will. People that would say, yeah, I can collect that much money. I can get that. And then they would go for, ideally, people who were from that region, right? People who, who knew the people that were in the area because they spoke the same language. They understood the same cultural things. They, they knew the families that were a part of that region. And so they would try and find somebody who could be the tax collector for that region. And what they told the tax collector was, this is everybody's tax rate. This is how much we need. Anything that you can collect above that, you get to keep. That's a huge incentive for a tax collector to squeeze every last dollar he can out of the people that he's taxing. And again, these are people that, that don't have, like, the Internet to go check and see what their tax rate is. Right? They have no idea what tax bracket they're in. They have no idea what percentage they're supposed to be giving. The only thing they know is what the tax collector tells them they owe. Now, if they can't pay their tax debt, there's a really good chance that the best way to solve that problem is that they could become a slave to a Roman citizen and they could pay off that debt. Tax collectors became the most hated member, the most hated individuals in any community in the Roman Empire. Because think about it, if you are a Jewish person, this is someone that is one of you. And he's working for the oppressive government that's ruling over us. And we can literally watch him drain the economic lifeblood from our community and tear families apart so that he can help himself and those guys. People hated tax collectors. And I don't think they were off base. Right? In the Jewish circles, all the gospel writers, they mentioned Jesus would sometimes be hanging out with Sinners and tax collectors, right? They got their own category of sinner. Everybody else, sinner. Prostitute, drug dealer, murderer, thief, you name it, sinner. And then there's tax collector. Those people are worse. So much so we have ancient literature that, that rabbis would tell their, their people in their synagogues, you can lie to the tax collector. It's okay. God doesn't care if you lie to them. Like to get a rabbi to say, yeah, this, this commandment right here, yep, yep, I know it's on the big list, but just go ahead. You can ignore that for tax collectors. That's a, that's a big deal. There was no one more despised in any town than a tax collector. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector. So the story we meet in, the first four verses of Luke 19, says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now Luke chooses every single word in this story. It's only 10 verses long. And Luke chooses every word for a reason. There's nothing in there by accident. First thing he says is is that Jesus was passing through. And if you read Luke 18, we know that Jesus is, is on his way into Jericho and he's wildly popular. People are so excited to see Jesus that he's coming to their town. It's an honor that this person who is so popular and well-respected would be coming to the town of Jericho. And like good Middle Eastern people, they, they went outside their city to welcome Jesus in, right? They lined the streets. And, and ahead of time, when they found out that Jesus was coming, they would have figured out, because hospitality is everything, Who's he going to stay with? And we need to find the most holy, righteous person in the entire town to house Jesus because the host needs to match the guest. And so if you're going to house Jesus, you better have your stuff together. And so they would have picked out the most honorable person they could think of to house Jesus. And they're ready for him to stay, and Jesus lets them know on his way in, hey, I'm just passing through. Thanks, but no thanks. Appreciate the hospitality, but I've got other stuff to do. And so everybody in Jericho is like a little bit miffed already because Jesus has said, no thanks. He's walking through and we meet this guy, Zacchaeus. Luke takes the time to say that he is the chief tax collector and he's wealthy. Right? So this is not just like a street level tax collector. This is not somebody who's collecting tax. This is somebody who is orchestrating the entire system. This is the one who's giving orders. Just how much should we take advantage of people? And he's been doing it for a while because he has made himself very wealthy. And so this is a guy who has made his adult life's work stealing and betraying his own people so that he can profit from it. There is no one in any of these people's minds that is more despicable than Zacchaeus. We also know that Zacchaeus is short, and and we think that's funny because we've always sang our song that he's a wee little man. But what, what it tells us, Zacchaeus doesn't want to push through the crowds because short tax collectors don't push through any crowds because they might not come out. All it would take is one knife And by the time the crowd dispersed, there would be no witnesses, just a dead Zacchaeus. That's how much people hated Zacchaeus. We know he's short. We know he's rich. We know he's evil. We also know that he really wanted to see Jesus. And we're not told why exactly. My best guess is that Jesus' reputation had preceded him. And Zacchaeus had heard about this guy who hung out with people like him. And it is very, very rare that somebody his entire town would be excited about would also be someone that might like him. And so if that's who this guy is, I I need to see who this guy is. And so Zacchaeus makes a, a risky decision, and it seems silly to us that it would be risky at all. Zacchaeus decides that he is going to run and he is going to climb a tree. We're not Middle Eastern men. 
Two things that you don't do. It's embarrassing. It could make you the, the subject of ridicule. You don't run in public, and you definitely don't climb trees. Little kids climb trees. And so Zacchaeus decides, and we know that where the tree is, because Luke makes mention, this is a sycamore fig tree. That means nothing to us, but it meant everything to them. You weren't allowed to plant sycamore trees inside the city walls, because sycamore trees grow out very, very wide. Their branches are low, and they're full of leaves, and so you would, like, grow right into somebody's house. If you wanted to plant a sycamore tree, you had to do it at least 75 feet outside of the city. And so Zacchaeus runs ahead because he knows that Jesus is passing through. He runs ahead of everybody and he climbs up in a tree that's got a bunch of leaves where he knows he's going to be able to see Jesus. Then Jesus gets to the spot. And he ends up talking to Zacchaeus. He calls him by name out of the tree. And you got to ask, how does Jesus know? How does Jesus know he's there in the tree? How does Jesus know his name is Zacchaeus? And it's totally possible that Jesus supernaturally knew where he was and what his name was, right? There are times where Jesus knows people's names before he's ever met them. There are times where Jesus knows people's entire life story before he's ever met them. And so it's totally possible that he knows that. I think that Jesus knows where Zacchaeus is and what his name is is because other people know where Zacchaeus is and they have been shouting his name along with every other four-letter word they know. Zacchaeus didn't stay hidden in his tree. He was found out. All of a sudden, there's a crowd of people that every other time they've interacted with Zacchaeus, it's in his office where they have names and faces. Now Zacchaeus is embarrassed in a tree, and they're in a crowd, and so their internet troll self comes out, and they proceed to tell Zacchaeus everything that they hate about him. And it's a super cool opportunity for them because Jesus is there. Right? They can show Jesus just how seriously they take this, how much they love their community. And Jesus, watching this hate be spewed towards Zacchaeus, has a decision to make. Verse 5 says, when, Zacchaeus, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There were huge implications and Jesus knew it. He knew going in, this was going to tick everybody off. Right? He has already like, put people on edge by the fact that he has said, nope, not going to stay here. He then changes his mind. And he picks the worst human being in the entire town. Right? The guest doesn't get to pick who they stay with. The town had already decided that. Jesus says, I, I want to stay with that guy. And he knows that that's going to infuriate all the church people around him. He also knows that by going into Zacchaeus' house, he is going to be declared religiously unclean. Right? Every bite of food that he eats at Zacchaeus' house is going to defile him. Just being under Zacchaeus' roof is going to make him unclean. The bed that he's going to sleep in is something he should be ashamed of. Jesus knows all that. And yet he does it. And I gotta ask, 
what has Zacchaeus done? What has Zacchaeus done that could possibly make Jesus want to do this? And if you look in, in the Bible, it's nothing. There's absolutely nothing in there that Zacchaeus has done other than climb a tree, which is not a cool thing to have done. There is nothing Zacchaeus has done that has made him worth what Jesus is doing. Because Jesus is taking all of that hate that they've got for Zacchaeus, and he's putting it on himself. This is the first day in a long time that somebody in Jericho has been more hated than Zacchaeus. And right now, the person that they're going to be angry with is Jesus. Everything from here on out, it's all about responses. Okay, what's Zacchaeus' response? The next verse, Zacchaeus comes down immediately and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus is thinking, I can't believe this is happening. Jesus, if you only knew the things I have done the people I have hurt, the way this whole town views me. I, I, but, but yeah, come on over to my house. This is a guy that does not have any good friends, if he has friends at all. This is a guy that has never been publicly honored in anybody's memory. And in the guest of the town, the person that everyone is so excited to see says, I want you. Zacchaeus is nothing but excited. It's also important to note the response of the crowd. That's the next verse. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They can't believe that Jesus is doing this. They're thinking, Jesus, if only you knew. If only you knew the things that he has done. Jesus, if only you knew the families that he has torn apart. If only you knew how much this guy was against God. You would not be doing this. But Jesus is doing it. And he's not really thinking twice about it. It's about Zacchaeus' response, it's about the crowd's response, and this story is also about your response. Because what Jesus is doing with Zacchaeus is what Jesus does with us too. And he's foreshadowing what's gonna happen when he goes to Jerusalem and hangs on a cross. When he's gonna look at us in our situation, he's gonna look at all of the lies and the jealousy, and the gossip, and the obsession with success. The, the complete idolatry of sexuality. He's gonna look at, look at our affairs, our failed marriages, our abuses, all of the relationships that we've completely destroyed. The flat out rebellion, live life with a middle finger towards God that we have lived. And he's gonna take all the anger that's, that's deserved for us. 
and he's going to put it on himself. And he's going to be defiled and humiliated so that we can receive honor and dignity. And so I ask you, who are you in this story? Maybe you're Zacchaeus and and you're thinking to yourself, if you're honest, God couldn't really want to hang out with me. And I want to tell you, he chose Zacchaeus because he does. He, He wouldn't have picked somebody else if he didn't mean even you. There is not a thing you can have or will ever do that he has not already forgiven. And he did it before you'd done anything. He did it while you were still in a fig tree. He had no guarantee for what his return on investment's gonna be. He had no idea what's gonna come out of it. It, That didn't matter. He did it because he wanted to do it. He did it because loving and valuing you is worth it. Maybe, maybe you're part of the crowd. It's not hard to do. I, I'm, I'm one of them, way more than I ever want to admit. And you just can't fathom that there would really be grace like that for those people. Right? It, it's fine when, when Jesus loves people who do all the right stuff. Or even, here's the response that the crowd wanted Jesus to give Zacchaeus, right? Here's what he should have said to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. You have lived a life of sin. You have lived a life of flat-out rebellion from God. You have hurt these people. You have hurt this entire community, and they're not okay with it, I'm not okay with it, and God's not okay with it. Now, I want a better future for you. So why don't you repent? Why don't you go to the temple? Purify yourself. And when I come back through Jericho, I want to stay at your newly clean house. If Jesus had said that, people would have cheered. The applause would have been outrageous. And people would have given him like a parade back through the town on his way out. Because he would have stuck to his guns. He wouldn't have compromised. He would have held the integrity of God up. But that's not what Jesus did. He he loved in an incredible, sacrificial, costly way. Without any guarantee of what this man's response was going to be. If you wanted to pick an enemy of, of the church in Jericho, Zacchaeus is number one. And Jesus goes out of his way to offend the entire church of Jericho so that he can love Zacchaeus. That's what Jesus does, that's what the grace of Jesus is. And it is open and available to anyone. 
especially even people like Zacchaeus. And so maybe you have a hard time believing that, and I want to tell you again, it's true. Maybe you have a hard time believing that for other people. And you know it in your head, but really in your heart, you have a hard time with that. And I want to tell you, it's true. Jesus loves even those people. Because here's what happens in the life of Zacchaeus when he experiences that grace. Verses 8 through 10. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look here, look here now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is telling this entire community, this guy's been saved. He's one of you, kids of Abraham. And for Zacchaeus, that moment, he doesn't just say, thank you, Jesus, let me say a prayer. What Zacchaeus talks about is life change. Right, look at what Zacchaeus describes. First off, it's a ridiculous New Year's resolution, right? Like, I'm gonna give away half my stuff, and then anybody that I've wronged, which is everybody, I'm going to pay them back four times everything I've wronged them. It's impossible. Even if he had kept a detailed record of every dollar he had screwed people out of, he couldn't pay them all back four times. And we think that's absurd. Everybody in the audience, because they were good Middle Easterners, said, all right, he means it. Zacchaeus, he had to make a claim like that. If he had just said something reasonable, everybody would have said, whatever, it's just talk. Zacchaeus is saying, no, 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 this matters. Everything changes right now. And he doesn't just say it changes this moment. He says it changes everything. Like my life is going to be reoriented because of this. And I would say that if you have ever experienced the grace of Jesus, you know what that's like to really see yourself like Zacchaeus and be told, I want to come stay at your house. I want to take all your shame and I want to put it on me so that you can have freedom. That is a grace that changes everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about how that grace is a, is a costly grace, right? It's free because Jesus offers it to anyone. Before we've done anything, it's available to everyone all the time but it's costly in that it demands everything. It's free, but it'll cost you your life. Because everything changes when we experience that grace. Because there's no one else that we'd rather follow. There's nobody else that has truly unconditional love like Jesus does. And maybe it's been a long time since you've had a moment like that. And I wanna invite you to go back and be Zacchaeus for a day. And remember what it is that Jesus has done for you. And if that is fresh on your mind, it's impossible to be a part of the crowd. Because the crowd, if it's made up of Zacchaeus, just says, yeah, that's what he does.
And Jesus tells us to live as his representatives in this world. People know him by us. And so the question for us is not, are you Zacchaeus in this story? Are you the crowd? How do you get to be Jesus? You get to be Jesus by sacrificially loving everyone, even the people like Zacchaeus. I don't know that we have a a perfect modern-day equivalent of Zacchaeus and tax collectors in our society. I bet you do in your head. For you personally, there's a person, there's a group, there's a symbol of of everything that, that you feel is against what God wants is against you. And Jesus says, I love them. I love them so much. I'm okay if it makes you mad that I love them. And I want you to love them like that. Let me be clear, I'm not talking about enabling like destructive or abusive behavior, okay? This is not like, let's just say that everything's okay. Jesus isn't excusing what Zacchaeus has done. He's just offering grace before Zacchaeus has ever changed. That's a powerful thing that the world does not know what to do with. And when Zacchaeus experiences it, his life changes. But I want to take a second, let's, let's look beyond just Zacchaeus. What are the results of this exchange? The entire city of Jericho is going to change. What's going to happen to the tax system in Jericho? That's not going to look the way it did before today. The burden that has been put on people, the debt that people lived in, the oppression that they felt, it will change. This act of grace from Jesus to an individual radically changed not just his life, but it affected systemic change. It transformed an entire city. And that is something that a church could put on a wall as a vision statement. People that that exist to see spiritual, social, and cultural renewal in Evansville and beyond by a movement of people transformed by the gospel, the grace of Jesus. Man, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. I would love to see a movement of people so transformed by the grace that they have received that they want to give it away to everybody. Because that's who Jesus is. And so I I don't know who your person, your group, the people, your symbol, whatever. I don't know who Zacchaeus is in your mind. Maybe it's you and you need to say, Jesus, I want you to come over. Maybe it's somebody else and, and you need to think what would it look like for me to really love them. 
What's a way that nobody else is going to love them if I don't? Let's be people that have the courage to love like that. I think the effect we would see, not just in individuals, but in families, in schools, in communities, in our city, in our world, would be a very, very fun thing to see. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're good. You're so good. Thank you for being a God who loves, who loves Zacchaeus and who loves us. And Lord, we just confess all, all the ways that we are not, not worth you. Jesus, thank you for being willing to take all that anger on you so that it could come off of us. That's just a really, really big gift. Lord, may we be people who live courageously because of that gift. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would know how to live that out this week. Lord, what would it look like for us to love the way that you have? Speak to our hearts and give us the courage to listen and say yes. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.